It's no secret that Queenstown has a crippling rental crisis, but despite years in the headlines, many say it's going from bad to worse. You can be up against as many as 40 other people at house viewings, pushing rental prices through the roof as people outbid each other to secure a property. A three-bedroom home costs around a minimum of $800 a week, and late last year, the Queenstown Lakes Community Housing Trust had about 820 households on its waiting list. There's also no real safety net, with absolutely no emergency accommodation available in town. So, with us is Hannah Sullivan, a local worker caught out by the crisis and currently homeless, who says the situation is desperate and is organising a protest tonight. Hannah, kia ora. Kia ora, how are you? More importantly, Hannah, how are you? I'm reading this, and you might, you might have heard it in the 4 o'clock news. The situation sounds exactly as you describe it, one of real desperation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is, um, I've lived here for seven years, and even though this has always been something that has been a struggle to find accommodation, um, something would always come up. Um, now people are, yeah, just really at the very, <clears throat> they're just struggling so much and it really is at crisis point right now and we really just really need to make and raise as much awareness as we can to this situation. Um, action really does need to be taken. How bad is the homelessness problem at the moment? Just how um, bad is it? It's absolutely awful. Um, we put out a survey recently and we've had 400 people have replied to us um, and quite a large percentage of them um, either are homeless or will be within the next few weeks. Um, I also am homeless at the moment, trying to uh, hold down a full-time job and um, looking for accommodation. You know, when you go to these um, viewings, uh, you said there was more than 40 people per per. per viewing there's actually over 300 at some um, applications to some homes at the moment um over the weekend we went to some of the local campsites where um a lot of people residents are currently living um in tents um we've met families with children people with animals that can't find pet friendly accommodation we've met people from all walks of life and all ages from people up to four years old up to 74 years old so yeah this is this is really affecting a wide variety of people. That is extraordinary for a town which is, uh, it's, 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 it's a large town, isn't it? it's not a big place. So to have uh, a place like Queenstown getting uh, 300 applications for one place, that is quite something. Can I ask you personally, Hannah, you're holding down a full-time job, you're homeless right now, where are you living um, I have been incredibly lucky. I have the absolutely had the best neighbours in the whole entire world who I've lived next door to for four years and they've become like family to me. Um, they just looked at me and said, there's no way we are letting you go onto the street mm-hmm. um, at all. So they have opened their arms to me at the moment, but this is not a long-term solution. This is very much short-term. Um, and, you know, I couldn't be more grateful, but... I don't even have a car to sleep in if I wanted to, so it looks like it's going to have to be a tent in the winter for me. <laughs> yes, uh, Pete uh, Wanaka says, I've been living in a tent for five years. 
Extra- yeah, extraordinary. So it is that desperate, and people are saying it's been going on for quite some time. Cass, what of this? Well, I, I just feel like Queenstown has created its own destiny. You know, they the built uh, this resort town, which is based on hospitality, and never planned for this. You know, never planned that you would have to have a lot of people who are attracted to Queenstown because it's gorgeous, but also all these jobs in hospital. And, and as you said in your intro, despite years in the headlines, there's been years. It's time for Queenstown to do something about it. I mean, there's cool housing initiatives around the country. There's tiny homes, all sorts of things. There's look to Europe and some of the ways they're solving housing problems. Look to different parts of the country and yet Queenstown. It's just it's just stayed the same. But I suppose my question is actually, given, Hannah, that it's so tough and you're looking at sleeping in a tent in the winter, which is horrific, why would you live there? Yeah, that's been uh, very much a question on a lot of people's um, minds at the moment. And um, my answer to that is, well, because it's my home. Um, I moved here seven years ago. I have worked here for the whole time. I have been um, a very um, active member of the community since I've been here. And um, this is home now, you know. Um, And also, without people like me staying, then how do you develop? How do you continue with the amount of tourism that we do have and we... um, so yeah, my my question, my answer to that is well, it's my home, mm. and um, I really would be very very sad to leave. And um, but I would not be one of the first to have to leave. We've have um, multiple stories from people who had to um, because they were they were in such desperate times. It's interesting you say this, Hannah, because anecdotally, Alfano was in Queenstown about six months ago, uh, trying to get a place to eat anywhere in town. Mm. Uh, we looked for an hour, yeah. we almost gave up. Yeah, and by absolutely. the kindness of a restaurant, because it was cold, because we had a little uh, little boy, come in and have a side seat. It was just unreal. Martin. Yeah, and I totally feel you. I'm hearing your pain on this. It's, um, it's just excruciating. I met a chef a couple of years ago. I was working 90 hours a week at a hotel um, just so he didn't have to go back to his car. Uh, where he, you know, he was living in the middle of winter, you know, and I just couldn't believe that was actually a thing that was going on. And as as Kaz said, this has been going on for years. This is not a new thing. This is not a COVID thing. This was happening before COVID. What what is it you hope to get out of the um, the protest, Hannah? What, what what what's an ideal outcome for you there? Um, the ideal outcome is really just to raise the awareness and to actually physically have the people and in our community together to actually be able to show um, physically show how many people there is um, yeah. you know we really are hoping that this is going to grab the attention of the central government because this really needs to get into Wellington as soon as possible we would love um, people who are here in power the people that we voted for to look after us the mayor, the housing minister um, we have Joseph Mooney who is coming tonight. Um, really, we just we're doing this because we are desperate. We don't have any other options. We we need to take action ourselves to hopefully pave the way for the people who should be doing it to then follow suit. So I mean, it what, used to be years ago that the hotels. I'm oh, sorry, Wallace, I interrupted you again. No, keep apologies. going. It's all right. Keep going, um, Martin. You're on a well, roll. Okay, well, this, the, the hotels used to have to provide staff accommodation. 
you know, and, and uh, they had accommodation wings, you know, out the back. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what happened to all of those. But as Hannah's also said, you know, there's a lot of empty houses lying around in Queenstown as well, which, you know, are used one or two weeks of the year. Um, surely there's got to be some options available here rather than this, this desperation of like so nothing So finally, happening. Hannah, what are you hoping to achieve from this evening's meeting tonight? How many are you expecting this evening? Um, good question. We have a um, hundred people who have been interested over our, our Facebook group. Uh, we have been into every single shop in Queenstown today and are meeting people on the street who have said, oh, yeah, we're coming tonight. Um, we It could be a mass of people, but hey, we, we know that there's support behind us. Um, we just really are hoping that people feel comfortable enough also because it's not easy to ask for help to come out and to um, to join us and to just be vulnerable and really just well, try to make a difference. Kia ora, Hannah. And on a personal note, I do hope you get um, a home of your own soon in Queenstown, a place mm. that you can call home. Good luck, Hannah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's uh, Hannah Sullivan, local worker caught out by the crisis, currently homeless in Queenstown. Seems to be quite the issue. Bit of response here. Um, James says you might you're right the Queenstown uh, housing isn't new situation it may be harsh but let the market rule employers must be the ones to solve the problem no way should it be a taxpayer imposition what have the local MPs done thank you says James. It is 14 to 5, the panel with uh, Cass Carter and Martin Bosley uh, today. Now Cass uh, is a communications exec and Mind the Gap advocate. Martin is a fishmonger and chef. And to this, already had a bit of response to this, solar power. Some say fantastic, others say solar power. It's a waste of money. With climate change and higher power prices, older New Zealanders especially are reporting making the switch to solar. It can, it can sound a little complicated with payback systems and getting credit for feeding power back into the national grid. Then there's making sure you can store energy when the rain and clouds stick around. How good is it and is solar energy generation something that we should be taking a closer look at? So we thought we'd get Andrew Eagles to cast his eye over the general issue. He's the Chief Executive of the Green Building Council. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora. Great to be with you again, Wallace. Good to have you on. So a mixed response to this. Some say, oh, I swear by it. Others say, it's a lot of money up front. I'm not quite sure if solar power is really worth it. What's your take? Well, so it's a really interesting article because it's quite a specific group, cohort of New Zealanders, yeah. right? The older generation. So the first thing we would say is the priority is checking your house is efficient, warm and healthy, right? So... If you're, if you're elderly, it's great to generate power, but the key thing is to get rid of drafts, to get rid of uh, all that lovely heat leaking out of your windows or your floor or your ceiling. It's a massive issue in New Zealand with damp and, and cold homes and also lack of ventilation. But if you've got a new house or a really warm, cosy house that's not uh, impacting your health, then yes, I mean, solar can be uh, effective. You need to be in the right orientation. There's a free tool you can use to check how much you might be able to generate at um, Gen Less. You need to size it right, you need to have no shading, and then it's really important if returns are important to you 
to check uh, a good provider um, can do that. Uh, so you've got a range of uh, fees or uh, income you can you can generate. The great thing with the elderly, uh, I mean, to make a bit of an assumption that might annoy some people, but is that um, if they're retired, they might be at home a bit more, uh, and that means they're going to use that energy when you're generating it, and that's great because um, that's a better return than selling it to the grid. I, I oh. do think uh, battery prices, uh, you know, have a way to go. The great thing with solar is in the last 15 years, the prices have just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped. So, so now, um, you know, you can get a good system at, at far lower prices. All right. So let's go around the panel and come back to you, uh, Andrew. So, Cass, interesting twist on the story, actually making sure that your house is, uh, is warm first. That'll cost you, it'll cost you a lot less. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, yeah. I mean, government's put in, you know, um, some rules over recent years, haven't they? Like, you know, if you if you renovate or build new double glaze and insulation and all those sort of things. So it, that perf- that makes perfect sense. But I'm, I'm sort of interested in how it's changed because I remember looking at solar power quite a few years ago and going, good Lord, it would cost a huge amount to set it up and then yep. will I live in this house ever more yeah. and make it worth it. And I think that's a, that's an important factor. But I just actually checked with a friend today um, who has put in solar power um, when I saw the story, and sh- um, she said broadly they were paying about $400 a month and now they're paying $40 per month, which is a massive difference. And she said the setup was around about twenty five k, and banks are offering interest-free loans. So I guess everybody's stepped up in terms of providing for it. Um, but I, I'm kind of interested, I suppose, in um, the whole selling back, selling your power back and how that works and what you need to do. I suppose that's my question is... Um, because um, I understand there will be some competition to sell power from the different companies. Yep. Can we just fold in a comment from Martin uh, as well and then come back to you, Andrew? Mm. Yeah, well, um, I was, Kaz, I was, was going to ask the very same question. But okay. um, all, I, all, I, all I'll add to this is um, my daughter was in Hawke's Bay during the, the recent flooding and lost all her power and everything. But her, um, her neighbours had solar power. And, uh, and so she was able to charge her phone and listen to the radio and do all those things. And she said, had oh. it not been for someone. They would not have known what was going on. And she said, really, it was, you know, she said, well, you know, the hot water, they could have a shower, the hot water, it was just a trickle, but it was hot water and things. And I thought, God, actually, this, you know, something I had never considered before. So it's something I'm actually going to start, I'm going to actually start looking at as well. Oh, kia ora, Martin. Was, Thanks for right, more, right. more really, re- really good issue there. So, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, you've got that additional element of resilience. So, uh I mean, the battery prices are quite a, a further step up, but even if you've got solar and you, you are cut off uh, in terms of power, you've got that power generation during the day for your phone, for your radio, for other things you might need. Um, if you've got you know, an additional ten to $20,000, you can go for battery as well. I think they'll come down over time. Yes, uh, ASB, Westpac, ANZ are offering... Um, Westpac is 0%, up to $40,000, and the other two are 1% for loans to take out uh, either solar or just make a plug again for uh, things like um, insulation, draft proofing, ventilation, those sorts of steps as well. So, yeah, I, I think there's a good opportunity. It's really pays to shop around in terms yeah. of what energy companies provide for, for paying for your power. So they can pay up to 17 cents per um, kilowatt hour Okay, uh, at the top end. Kia ora, Andrew. Well, tomorrow we may talk to someone who has lived off the grid 
for nearly 30 years. We'll see uh, if we can uh, do that tomorrow. And uh, someone wants to dob in their parents. Listen to this. Wallace, my boomer parents <laughs> have a holiday home and a rental in Queenstown, and they won't even let us kids stay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised that housing is scarce. <laughs> Clearly they're badly behaved. Yeah. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National, 8 to 5. Have you ever considered taking up a new hobby or a new pursuit? And if you did, what would it be? With us is Nelson Barrister, Emma Riddell. She asked herself that very question, and the answer that came back was wood chopping. Emma, kia ora. Well, first of all, why wood chopping? What appealed to you about it? Well, it was pretty random. I had a <laughs> friend who <laughs> said, oh, you'll be good at wood chopping. He'd just taken it up and was absolutely in love with it. Um, so he took me out to my now coach just out of Motueka. Um, That was about oh, two and a half years ago, I guess, and I kind of went every weekend since and did my first chop in public at Labour Weekend in 2020, so it went from there, really. What are the parallels between criminal law mm-hmm. and wood chopping? Emma, are you there? We'll get her back. Mm. Um, we, we'll get her back. Don't worry. She's uh, in Nelson, Nelson Barrister there. Around uh, the panel, who's tried wood chopping. I actually love watching it. It's a fantastic spectator yeah. sport, but gosh, it looks hard, Cass. Yeah, oh, well, I remember A&P shows every year yes. as a kid. You'd yeah. watch the wood chopping and it was fascinating. They were so fast and so clever. So I sort of didn't think it was a weird and wonderful pursuit, although possibly if you're a barrister living in the middle of a city. I was wondering, though, um, as a barrister particularly, is it illegal to drive around with offensive weapons in the back of your car? It talked, the story talked about her having axes in the back of her car, and I thought, Mm. Well, we'll ask that. Now, yeah. Emma, in terms of your uh, axes, some of them are pretty, well, a, a, very expensive and very sharp. Is there an issue with um, carrying these around, particularly as a barrister? <laughs> I do have my excuse, um, reasonable excuse lined up for the police <laughs> if I ever get pulled over. Um, but no, they're all fairly safely encased in an axe box and axe yeah. covers. So it must be wonderful at the end of a stressful day at work, which I'm sure you have many, just going and smashing the hell out of a whole lot of wood. Surely it's good for your mental yeah, health. It can be. It can be quite therapeutic. Mm. Yeah, Martin. <laughs> Emma, have you heard of gardening? That's a nice pursuit. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my garden's been find... neglected this wood chopping season. So. <laughs> <laughs> I find this one of those sports that uh, I, I, is, is fascinating to watch, but also at the same time terrifying, especially when you stand on the log. And like, it, those yes. blades are excruciatingly sharp, right? And I think I can't watch this because something might happen mm. and a leg is going to come off or a limb's going to get lost. Yet I'm mm. kind of transfixed by it. Emma, have you ever had, you know, the close call? No, it's very safe. We're we're wearing protective gear, so we're wearing chain mesh on our legs and on our feet, so we're not going to um, chop our toes right. off. We might get a yeah. fairly significant bruise but um, and damage an axe, which is the main worry, but um, no, it is very safe. Ha- has it always been like that with chain mesh? I'm just trying to think, as a kid, did we watch people mm. with chain mesh on them? Or no, they... that's mm. sort of come in more recently. Mm. Um, so now it's compulsory in the 
South Island of New Zealand. I don't know if the North Island have got there yet, but we're working on it. And Emma, not, you, you, it's not, and just remind ourselves, this is not just a hobby for you. You've actually done extraordinarily well. In fact, um, you know, uh, winning uh, in one of Wood Chopping's biggest competitions, the South Island Champs of Waimati, in which you won uh, both the women's individual events. Would you like to see this um, become an Olympic sport? And if so, would you be up for the challenge? It would be an amazing Olympic sport, I think. I yeah. mean, I'm not sure if there's a buy-in throughout the world, although people, it's very big in Europe with the skilled timber sports, which is also oh, okay. competed in recently in Palmerston North at the Rural Games. Um, and obviously Australia are really good at it. They're really good at it in the US as well. So there's a fairly big contingent of choppers over there. So it would be great if it was an Olympic sport and imagine the chance to be able to represent your country at the Olympics. How amazing would that be? Oh, fantastic, um, uh, Emma. And so um, from here on in, you're going to keep on. This is is your love, your passion outside of uh, your work. You're going to keep on wood chopping? Yeah, I think I'll keep on wood chopping. There's work to be done on it yet. (laughs) Lots of mistakes. Lots of mistakes on the weekend when I chop, that's for sure. Lovely to have you on, Emma, and um, keep up the good work there, and congratulations. That's uh, Nelson Barrister, Emma Riddell. By the way, look, sorry for... uh, some of the uh, technical issues this afternoon on the panel, but just that's uh, the way it is. There's a lot of lot of response regarding uh, Queenstown. It's indefensible that there are masses of holiday homes barely occupied, and there are homeless working people in Queenstown. It's indefensible. I know how few houses are occupied because I'm closely associated with the builders who build them in these disgusting gated mansion enclaves, 10 times the rates for holiday non-resident occupied homes. Quite a big response. We might come back to the story later on. But for now, um, Martin Bosley and Cass Carter, you have both been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me on the panel. Thank you. Uh, Big thanks to Liz Brown for uh, producing the show. Uh, Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. I'm back tomorrow from 3.45.